I think every single one of us understands that tension. There's something instinctively, innately in us that wants to be different, that wants to stand out, that wants to be special, that wants to be unique more than just another number or another name on a file somewhere. But I also think that we also push back a little bit. We, we, start to, we start to resist when we start to think maybe we're too different. We, we don't want to be like weird different, but we want to be unique and special. It's a very fine line to walk. Back in 1984, the youth church choir that I was a part of got to tour England. And we were driving through the heart of London one day. We were on our tour bus, and there in Trafalgar Square, I saw something I had never seen before in my life. Keep in mind, this is 1984, and I saw an ocean of punk rockers. You know, the studded leather jackets, the mohawk hairdos, dyed every color of the rainbow, Doc Martin boots, goth makeup. I'm talking about the whole nine yards. Just for the record, we didn't get a lot of this in urban cowboy Houston back in the 80s. But I remember being struck by something so, so interesting. I, I was kind of fascinated by it at the time, and I continue to be fascinated by it because as I looked out at this ocean of punk rockers, these, these rebels and radicals, the iconoclasts and the outcasts, it struck me that they were all working really, really, really hard to rebel against, I don't know, the, the man, the system, whatever it might have been. But in their effort to stand out, they actually ended up all kind of blending together. It was a, a really ironic, ironic twist to their rebellion. I want to be different. But would I want to be different? We all understand that. The Christian faith is absolutely a calling to be different, to live differently, to think differently, to speak differently, to act differently, to love differently. It is this calling that comes from God himself. It is this calling that calls us to refuse to settle for what passes for normal. It's normal in this world to live in open defiance of God and his word. It is normal to normalize chaos and confusion, anxiety and depression, and just decide that's just the way it is. And yet God says, absolutely not. Do not, Christ follower, settle for normal because normal is grossly overrated. As a follower of Christ, we are called to something much, much greater, something much, much higher. We are called to put our hearts and our minds, our lives on Jesus Christ as our true north. And as we do that, we begin to become more like him. We become actually the hands and the feet of Jesus in this world. Jesus himself said that we are to be salt and light. 
Now, salt, we understand, is God's favorite seasoning. It, it makes, it, it adds flavor to stuff that is bland and plain. And that's true, but in Jesus' day, salt was not primarily a seasoning. Salt was primarily a preservative. In the millennia before refrigeration, people would use salt on fish, on meat and poultry to delay decay. And so salt would be a preservative. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he's saying, not only are you supposed to add flavor to this world, I actually want you to preserve this world. I want you, Christ follower, to delay the decay, to curb the corruption of a very, very messy, messy world. When he says that we are light, he says we're to be a light that's like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. He said nobody lights a candle in a dark room and then puts a basket over it. You remember the song? This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no. I'm gonna let it shine. Now those are not the exact words of Jesus, but that was his point. He was saying, you are to be a light in the darkness. And when Jesus said we're to be salt and light, that begins to give us an understanding of his diagnosis of the world. That the world, because of sin, my sin, your sin, everybody's sin, the world is in decay and darkness. And as we fix our eyes, our hearts, and our minds, and our lives on him, we begin to become more like him. We begin to season and preserve this world. We begin to be light in the darkness. And we begin to be able to make sense of this messy, messy world. This teaching series that we're kicking off today is absolutely a line in the sand. It is a stake in the ground for us as a church family, but I also hope and pray for all of us personally and individually that we will say, never again will we settle for normal. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you ain't normal. You were not created for normal. You were not created for average. More to the point, Jesus Christ did not abandon heaven, occupy earth, to die on a cross, be buried dead in the ground, and rise from the dead on the third day so that we could be just normal. Because everything was hunky-dory, A-O-K. As a matter of fact, it was exactly because everything was not hunky-dory, A-O-K, that Jesus did all of those things because he loves you unconditionally and perfectly, as is, no questions asked, and he loves you too much to leave you where you are. He calls you, he calls me to make sense of a messy world. I want to share with you just by way of background a little bit of the heart behind this series. It's not only for you, it's not only for me, but I also, like a lot of you, have a deep and abiding passion for the next generation. I'm talking about for kids who aren't even in school yet, but certainly those who, who are in school, 
elementary, middle school, high school. And I also have a deep and abiding passion for their parents. Parents who are grasping at straws, question, what do I do? How do I help my kids process this world? Everything is so insane. And, and the beauty of this is right now, we can all agree on this. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. It doesn't even matter who you voted for, what cable news channel you used to watch because you've gotten better use of your time. We can all agree it's a messy world that we live in. And until we figure out who God is and who he's created us to be, neither we nor our children will ever make sense of this messy world. It will continue to be confusing. It will continue to be chaotic. It will continue to be disorienting and distracting. That's what the world does. But again, the more we love God, the more we know him personally, relationally, the more we love him intentionally, deliberately, truthfully, genuinely, and intimately, then the more we begin to make sense of the mess. And the lens that we're gonna use throughout this series, we're going to look into the lives of four young men, four people who at first glance, you would never in a billion years give them any chance of being world changers, and yet, that is exactly what God did with them. I'm talking about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were Israelites who were carted off to Babylonian captivity around 605, 607 years before Christ walked on the earth. I want to show you something very, very interesting, I, I think interesting, about these four men and the world that they lived in and how similar their lives in Babylon are to our lives where we live in 2023. Daniel chapter one starts like this. It says, now, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Israelites, they would have been people who inhabited probably the, the town of Jerusalem because they were in these, these select royal families that were carted off to Babylonian captivity. But to understand that, you have to remember, put yourself in their sandals most people never left their hometown or the village where they were born for their entire lives. But when Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem and took them away, he would have taken them from Jerusalem all the way back to Babylonia, specifically the capital, which is the city of Babylon. I wanna show you what that would have looked like. We've got a little flyover map. We're gonna take a little trip across the world here real quick. Here we are, Lake Hills Church. We're gonna get on our private jet and go to Israel. Here comes Israel across the ocean. It's a long way away, isn't it? There's Northern Africa, Suez Canal. We're coming into Israel, and here's Jerusalem. 604, 605, Nebuchadnezzar besieges it, 
takes them captive, and then carts them 1,600 miles to Babylon. Now, you're going to see here where the Babylonian Empire reached. That red shaded area would have been everything that Nebuchadnezzar was in charge of and ran as the emperor, as the king. Nebuchadnezzar, on his business card, it just said, the man. He, he, he ran the show. But for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they were in Babylonian captivity, 1,600 miles. It might as well have been the moon for people back then. 1,600 miles away from home, away from family, away from familiar, away from food that they were used to, laws they were used to, customs they were used to, all of it. But now look at how the Bible tells, what the Bible tells us about their experience in Babylon. I'm gonna read verses three through seven. Here's what the Bible says. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. Then the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Now, watch this. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those were their Hebrew names. We're gonna, I'm going to unpack that in just a second. But Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Now, it would be tempting if you were reading through the narrative of Daniel to kind of skip past the names that are hard to pronounce or you'd never, you know, it's not really exactly John. But you have to understand what was going on when the chief of staff was trying to rename Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, I'm gonna pull up a chart on the screen that we're gonna fill out together. You can take a picture of it at the end, but I wanna explain and show you what was going on with these names. You have to understand, in this day and age, names carried immense weight. Parents would name their children according to the prayers for their children, what, their, what they hoped and prayed their children's lives would represent. So the Hebrew names, we've got Daniel, We've got Hananiah, we've got Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel is translated, God is my judge. It recognizes God as the ultimate authority. He is my judge. I'm accountable to him. Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. That, that name Hananiah would have meant God is, God is kind, he is loving, he is gracious. Mishael means no one compares to God. When people said, Mishael, they would say, hey, Mr. No One Compares to God. It was a term of worship. And then Azariah means Yahweh has helped. 
Yahweh has helped. So their names in Hebrew were essentially statements of worship, praise that their lives were then to reflect. But when you see their names changed in Babylon, look at what they become. In the Babylonian language, Daniel becomes Belteshazzar, Hananiah becomes Shadrach, Mishael becomes Meshach, and Azariah becomes Abednego. Here's what they mean. Belteshazzar means lady, protect the king. They were twisting Daniel's very identity as a man, changing his gender by changing his name. Shadrach means I am afraid of God. God is a tyrant to be feared. Meshach means I am despised. I am, I am humiliated. I am ashamed. And then Abednego means servant of Nebo. Nebo was one of the many Babylonian gods that they worshiped. He was the god of writing and the god of vegetation. The god of writing would have represented knowledge and learning. Abednego means he is a servant of this false god. Now, you probably have a question. Why do we know Daniel is Daniel, his Jewish name, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we know by their Babylonian names? It's a great question. And I have done extensive research, and here's the reason. Nobody knows. <laughs> we, we don't know. It just, it's just one of those things that has come down through history like that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego remained every bit as faithful as Daniel did, as we'll see throughout this series. But for some reason, we know them by their Babylonian names instead of their Hebrew names. It just, it just kind of is. Don't make a bigger deal out of it than it is, and we move on. But when you understand what was going on, the Babylonians were trying to change the identity of these four young men. They understood if they could twist, if they could somehow corrupt the identity that they had been born with, then they could completely redefine and repurpose their lives for their purposes. But Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were having none of it. They held on to their identities as God had given it, tooth and nail throughout now, we're going to follow their story throughout this series, but just understand that these four men realized that their identity came from their creator. They understood that they had been born with a God-given identity, a God-given soul. Psalm chapter 139, it's not going to be on the screen. I want you to just, just listen. Just listen very, very intentionally, very, very mindfully to the words of Scripture. Psalm 139 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. 
God, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I love how perfectly that parallels the passage that Derek read earlier from Psalm chapter eight. Oh God, when I consider you, who am I that you are mindful of me? Who am I that, that you choose to love me, to care for me, to call me, to empower me? God, you knew me before you knit me together. Here's what that means. God accounted for you before conception. That ought to knock you out of your cushion seat right now. The God of this universe knew that he wanted there to be in this world a you. So for us as followers of Christ, the question is not, does life begin at conception? Our soul, our identity is accounted for long before conception. At the second of conception, when mama and daddy were smiling at one another, that has already been settled because God knew you. You were a life before you were two cells coming together to multiply to become four and then eight and then 16 and then 32 and then 64 and you get the point. Life is sacred because God calls it into existence. That's, that's staggering. You might have been a surprise to your mom and dad. You might have been. You weren't to God. God creates every person born. God creates every person conceived. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego held on to this. They held on to it tooth and nail in circumstances that you and I can't even fathom. Now I'm gonna do something that I shouldn't do. In the first sermon of this series, I'm gonna give you the punchline. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you the bottom line to the whole thing. Now I'm praying that you continue to come back. All right? Because what God has for us over the next few weeks is too profound to miss. It's, it's too important to, you know, maybe go back and catch up on YouTube. It's, it's worth the time. It's worth the investment. It's worth the effort to be a part of it together. But here's the bottom line. Right after the names were changed for the official record, Look at what the Bible says in Daniel chapter one, verse eight. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Daniel resolved. I mean, he decided, Jack. 
said, no, I will not go along to get along. I'm okay rocking the boat. I will not settle for normal. He resolved to not defile himself. Defile is not a word that I use very often. Do not defile. We didn't tell our kids don't defile, you know. So I looked it up. This is how Webster's defines defile. To make unclean or impure. To corrupt the purity or perfection of. To debase. To make physically unclean, especially with something unpleasant or contaminating. To violate the sanctity of. To desecrate, sully, or dishonor. Daniel resolved. He chose, I will not. And and that's the thing that I think is so helpful. That Daniel wasn't just trying to make his pros outweigh his cons. He wasn't trying to be a good guy. He understood his identity because he knew his creator. And so he resolved not to defile himself, not to corrupt that which God had created and called into existence. You see, Daniel understood his identity came from God. Years and years ago, Julie and I were getting ready to buy our first house. And uh, we, we were nervous. I had never in my life made a financial move like this. You know, this was back in the 90s and everything was done on paper and we filled out all the necessary paperwork and turned it in, kind of held our breath and it took 10 days to get an answer back. And sure enough, our credit report came back and we were declined, declined. And I called the mortgage guy that was helping us. I said, hey man, what's going on? He goes, he goes, I looked at that. I can't believe y'all got declined. And he goes, I started looking through the documentation and I realized you've been sued. There's a judgment against you for $100,000, $150,000. I was like, Gary, I hadn't seen $150,000 in my life. Nobody's suing me for $150K. He goes, well, they did. He said, the plaintiff is Linda Richard, Linda Richard. I go, that's my mom. I'm pretty sure mom didn't sue me. And my, the, the, the defendant in this lawsuit was my name, Thomas Richard, Thomas Richard. That's my legal name, Thomas M. And it's like, and Linda sued Thomas for $150,000. What are the odds of that? So I called mom. I said, mom, did you sue me? She goes, She goes, of course not. I go, oh, wait, I got it. Dad's name was Thomas G. Richard. Did you sue him in the divorce or at some point along the way? She goes, no, and the reason I know I didn't is because I thought about it. She goes, but I've never sued anybody. I said, well, Julie and I were doing paperwork to buy this house and found out there's a lawsuit against a Thomas Richard for $150,000 from a Linda Richard. She goes, I promise you, I do not have $150,000 lying around. I said, well, if you ever do, call me. 
We had to go through this incredible bureaucratic rigmarole to get it all figured out and straightened out and present all kinds of documentation saying that I was not that particular Thomas Richard and that Linda Richard was not my mother and on and on and on. Finally, we got the whole thing straightened out and Jill and I were able to buy the house. Everything worked out. But we had to check our ID. Isn't it true that in the world that you and I live in, we have to check our ID regularly. We have to make sure that we understand who God has created us to be, who he's called us to be. Self-awareness only comes through God-awareness. Self-awareness is where we begin to make sense of the world around us. But until we understand who God is and how much he loves us and what he's called us to, we will never develop self-awareness, much less be able to make sense of a messy world. It won't happen. I I know that sounds like a, a brash claim. I know it sounds maybe even dramatic to you. I'm just telling you the truth is it is only in relationship with Jesus Christ, forgiven of your sins and empowered to live a life that is truly life, that any of us will ever understand who we are or how to make sense of a messy world. That's that's how it happens. This is how the Apostle Paul put it. In Philippians chapter three, verse 18, he said, now I have told you often before and I say it again with tears in my eyes that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. Nebuchadnezzar versus Yahweh. Heavyweight fight. Temporarily, Nebuchadnezzar won a round. He he captured Jerusalem. He took the people of Judah into bondage and slavery. But you know, old Nebuchadnezzar, eventually he died. He was a human being. Now, he liked for people to worship him as a little G God. He liked to be considered a deity, but he kind of gave up that when he died. But you have these two opposing forces. Nebuchadnezzar, representative of the world, and God, representative of life. And God wins. When we say, check your ID, according to Scripture, you got to do a couple of things. Number one, you have to align your identity with your Creator. You have to align your identity with your Creator. God made you. 
That's, that's the very first thing that we got to get straight. God made me. That means that God gave me my identity. God gave me my soul. The song that we sang earlier, remember, I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. And then that other song that messes me up every time. Oh, Lord, my God. When I, in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made, how great thou art. How great thou art. My creator gives me my identity, not the world, not even who I say I, I can mislead myself. <laughs> Anybody ever misled yourself? That's why I say this again, we've got to be so, so careful when we hear live your truth. Be, be careful with that one. We're called to live God's truth. And as long as my truth aligns with God's truth, knock yourself out. But anytime I take myself outside of that, I'm taking myself outside of what I was created for. I'm redirecting, I'm redefining God's purposes for my life. So align your identity with your creator. And then number two, like Daniel, align your choices with your identity. Once your identity is aligned with your creator God, then you start to align your choices with your identity. You, you say, I am a person who follows Christ. I am a person who honors God. I am a person who tells the truth. I am a person who guards the gift of my sexuality. I am a person who because I am aligning my choices with my identity, my God-given identity. And that is where we have taken the first step to making sense of a messy world. Will you bow your heads with me for a second? If you're here today and you have never resolved to follow Christ, we wanna invite you to do that right now. Just right where you are, to pray a prayer of beginning. It's not a, it's not a magic formula prayer, it's just a, a willing heart. If that's you, then you pray in your own words something like this, just pray silently and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to help me make sense of myself, to make sense of this world. And so I confess my sin to you. I'm putting it all on the table, holding nothing back. 
in order to claim and receive your forgiveness, your grace, and your truth. And Lord, I commit to follow you from this moment forward. I pray this prayer in your name. I wanna ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for a moment. If that was your prayer today, this is the greatest day of your life. And as a church, we wanna, we wanna help with the moments that follow, just coming alongside as a family and faith with you. And so when we dismiss in just a couple of minutes, we, we've got a gift for you. It's a new believer's packet. There, there's a Bible in there. There's a reading plan to help you get started and just begin getting to know God personally. If you'd like to, you can stop at the hub that's out here in the lobby to your right as you exit. If you have any questions or want to talk, there are people there that would love to have a conversation with you. But as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if you prayed that prayer and stepped into that relationship with Christ today, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it high over your head for just a moment as a statement physically of the commitment spiritually that you just made and know as a church, as a family of faith with you, we celebrate that and honor it. And our family tradition here is you put your hands down as we're gonna put our hands together and tell you welcome home. Welcome home.